It's here in the city. It's here in the city. This is here in the city. This is here in the city. I'm Sarah Harris. I'm Sarah Harris. New message. Truth should be truth. But then it depends on, in the telling, whose truth is it. We're here most Tuesdays, bringing you radio realities from the urban landscape and mapping the city with voices of creative social change in and around Los Angeles. On Pacifica Radio, powered by the people, thanks to the generous support of you, our listeners, the capable crew at KPFK, the innovators of web-based radio at SoundCloud, news you might have missed at newsdesk.org, and the community-funded reporting project, Spot Us. You can find us on the web at here in the city. That's H-E-A-R in the city.org. This is Here in the City. I'm Sarah Harris. On today's show, we'll be looking at Walmart in Los Angeles and how one retail space on the corner of Cesar Chavez and Grand, just on the edge of Chinatown, is creating a snafu in the corporation's plans to move forward on opening more stores in the city where it hasn't exactly been welcome in the past. I don't think it matters at, at times how, what the community actually wants. It's what, sh- what the politics at play will dictate that will happen. But first, we'll be going to the Los Angeles Public Library. Stay tuned. That is the voice of Sara Farad, singing Baharan, which means springtime in Farsi. And children in the second largest school district in the country, the LAUSD, will be celebrating the vernal equinox with a break from school starting this Friday, the birthday of Cesar Chavez. What do you do with the kids on vacation that doesn't cost money and keeps them engaged in learning? Here's one idea. Visit the Los Angeles Central Library, which is exactly what author Anne-Marie Ruff has done for almost two decades and through many life changes, as the public library has been a constant friend and a home away from home. She offers us this audio postcard. I first met the Central Library when I was attending UCLA. Back in the days when the card catalog had just graduated to a computer, The Central Library offered books for my research papers not to be found in the URL, which in those days meant the decidedly uncyber University Research Library. I found in the long block between Grand Avenue and Flower Street a safe place in an otherwise intimidating downtown. Years later, when my parents came to visit from Minnesota, which boasts one of the most literate populations in the country, I showed off the Central Library as an architectural and cultural wonder. 
I pointed to the massive chandeliers, the giant lanterns, and the multilingual steps up from Flower Street as proof that Los Angeles wasn't as vapid as it looked from halfway across the country on their television screens. Then, just before I hit 30, I moved overseas. I spent five years far from the library, far from the gorgeous celestial rotunda, in places where libraries shelved only small collections of English literature as an afterthought. When I returned to Los Angeles for two summers, a temporarily repatriated expat, I used the library like an office. Without a room of my own, or much money for that matter, I rushed down Grand Avenue on my bicycle and staked out one specific table on the glass-enclosed causeway at the far end of the building's new wing. In between fits of writing a novel on a borrowed laptop, I could gaze out from my elevated perch over the six flights of escalators descending into the well-ordered stacks, the intellectual heart of the library. When I returned to the city full-time, with a husband in tow and a baby on the way, I was sold on a loft, in large part because of its location, a mere two blocks from the library. Once the baby arrived, the gardens and fountains became our backyard. I discovered, just beyond the relics of the old card catalog, a world-class children's library and a former co-worker who had successfully reinvented herself as a children's librarian. With elaborately painted ceilings, vintage murals, and elegant lamps big enough to make even adults feel like kids, the children's library became our personal bookcase. The baby, and then his younger brother, were regulars at the Tuesday morning story times. Once a week, we would all trek up the hill to check out a new supply of children's books. Absent a better system of deciding, I simply started at A and methodically worked my way through the alphabet with each visit. Five years and thousands of illustrated pages later, we're still only on S. As two small children filled my life with activity not conducive to sitting and reading adult literature, the audio-video section of the library became a lifeline. I discovered that after the children fell asleep, I could listen to books on CD while I folded laundry, washed the dishes, packed the diaper bags. I wonder how those books, the international tales to which I always gravitated, filtered into my children's dreams. The Central Library has been a place of reconnection, too. Once, while waiting in line to check out our books, I noticed a flyer for an upcoming event in the library's Mark Taper Auditorium, a reading of a play. I noticed that the director's name, a very unusual name, happened to be the same name of a dear childhood friend from Minnesota. A week later, I returned to the library, without my children, to be rewarded with the sight of a friend I had not seen in some two decades, and the moving story of her husband's play. I know I'm not alone in my passion for this place. Every day I see dozens of people, many marginalized or nearly discarded by the rest of the city, who eagerly await the opening of the library doors. In its rich rooms and elegant halls, they find refuge, rest, and who knows, maybe even help with their reading or computer skills. More recently, I have been thrilled to know the library in yet another way. I provided two copies of my first novel, some of which was written within its walls, to the library's fiction department. 
So now, not only is the library part of me, but I am part of the library. That was the voice of author Anne-Marie Ruff, who recently published her first novel, Through These Veins, which explores the question, if we had a cure for AIDS, would it ever make it to market? All the profits from the sale of her book benefit Doctors Without Borders and the Ethiopian Institute for the Conservation of Biodiversity. Her commentary was originally published in the Downtown News. Anne-Marie will be at Stories Bookstore on Sunset, reading from her novel on Thursday, April 5th. You can visit our website, hereinthecity.org, for details and to see a video of Anne-Marie reading through these veins. Are checked out right now. Next um, stop oh, in the library, kind of a Teenscape. For it. Do you want to get on the list? Uh, yeah. Okay. We have a lot of copies, so you'll move, you'll move fast. A home away from home for teenagers. This is Here in the City, and I'm Sarah Harris. We are here at Teenscape at Central Library. And it's a Saturday afternoon, and I'm behind the desk with Mary McCoy. And what's your job, Mary? I'm the acting senior librarian here in Teenscape, which is the department for young adults at the Central Library. Uh, Teenscape has, it has been a space for teens here in the library since the early 90s. And it's an area where teens can come and use the computers, they can do their homework, they, we have um, software that they can you know, create presentations for school, um, they can do word processing, they can watch movies, they can read comic books, they can be with their friends, we have uh, video game Fridays, they'll play Xbox and Wii. Um, so it's just, it's just a space for teens and, um, and their parents. When I walk in, I look at, you've got Facebook, and you have computers everywhere, and I really feel like I'm in a space that's different from the rest of the library. Is that hold true? It is very different from the rest of the library, just because it is a space only for teens. Um, it's really not even a space for for little children. I mean, it is a space for, for children who are between the ages of 11 and 19, and it's very much for them, by them. We try to get the materials here that they want to have. Um, we make the computers available to them and only them. So it's a safe space, and it's a space where they can be with their peers. And can they go on Facebook, for instance, and do Google searches and use Wikipedia on these computers? Absolutely. Yeah, all the computers that are out in this room have internet access, and they can have up to two hours of internet access a day with their library cards. Um, and then they can have unlimited library databases, library catalog, and word processing. Do you assist in how students or youth are doing research and questions they might have about you know, credibility of sites that they're visiting or sources they find online? We do. Um, we regularly offer um, class visits. We'll have, we have classes in from LAUSD and beyond um, probably at least 10 to 15 times a month. We'll have a class come in, especially if they're working on a particular research project. And before we start every one of our lesson plans with um, a little bit of instruction on how to evaluate the validity of a website and how to tell the difference between what you find in a database that the library subscribes to versus what you find doing a Google search. So we try to give them the tools to, um, to find the information they need and also to use critical thinking skills to make sense of that. 
What's the um, the most memorable experience that you've had since you started working in Teenscape at the library? Oh, honestly, I think um, whenever we get a new shipment in of new graphic novels and manga, and we'll put it out on the counter behind you there, and just watching the teens pounce on it and then often they'll take you know they'll take a few books and they'll curl up in the beanbag chairs over in the corner and sometimes I'll look through the glass here and I'll just see a floor full of every beanbag chair is just full of teens reading. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure thank you. This is what it is. This is what it's going to be. You are listening to Here in the City on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara. 93.7 FM in San Diego. And 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. An archive and a podcast of our shows is at Here in the City. That's H-E-A-R in the city dot org. And at kpfk.org, you can like us on Facebook. If you like. And visit us at our website, hereinthecity.org. And follow us on Twitter. Last Friday, the Los Angeles City Council voted unanimously on a moratorium to ban large-scale commercial franchise markets from opening in Chinatown. The motion was introduced by 1st District Councilman Ed Reyes as a stopgap measure to prevent Walmart from opening a neighborhood store. Despite the council vote, Walmart did obtain a permit for construction from the Building and Safety Department just one day before the city council voted. While it's unclear whether or when Walmart can begin demolition and construction at the location, what is clear is that the corporation has been front and center in the debate about unfair hiring and labor practices, favoring part-time, non-union jobs that pay less than the living wage with no benefits. It's been eight years since Walmart was defeated by the Inglewood community in its last attempts to open a new store in Los Angeles. The battle over Chinatown has just begun, so... I went to two business leaders in the Chinatown community to ask for their perspective. This is here in the city, and I am here underneath a mixed-use retail space on 701 West Cesar Chavez Boulevard in Los Angeles. And it is just shy of Grand Avenue and uh, across from the 110 freeway entrances. And I'm sitting here with... My name is George Yu, and I'm with the Chinatown Business Improvement District. And the reason we're sitting at this space is because it is a point of contention currently about what will happen with over 30,000 square feet of retail space that's been sitting vacant here under this building for how long? Almost 22 years. This building was built in um, 19, well, opened in 1991. Grand Plaza has about 300 units of senior uh, apartments above us here. The seniors moved in initially because one of the big selling points was that there is, there was going to be a market here. 
Um, this space that we're sitting in front of was um, originally built for a market basket. I think most people won't even remember what a market basket was, but it was one of the major chains in the 80s and the 90s. And um, market basket never came. Chinatown is a really walkable area of Los Angeles, which is what gives it, you know, its charm and why a lot of older people live here. I realize that the closest supermarket would be uh, 26th, uh, Avenue 26 in Pasadena, so Smart and Final on one end and on the other end downtown, I guess, the 9th Street. Almost, um, four miles away um, is a Rouse, and um, that Rouse is the um, highest grossing Rouse in the chain for a reason. Um, nobody here can afford to shop there. I can't afford to shop there on an on a ongoing basis. Um, you know, people live in Chinatown for, for many reasons, but in terms of the Chinese seniors, many of these units, Grand Plaza's um, seniors, older adults, their children are, are living in the San Gabriel Valley, and these seniors choose to live here because of their friends, their relationships, um, um, wanting to be in Chinatown, and this market will um, definitely make things easier, not only for the residents of this building, but for the, you know, the, the residents in, in the overall greater community. Which brings me to the, the motion um, that was made before the City Council on Friday. I brought it with me. So I was wondering if I could ask you, Mr. Yu, to just read the very beginning of this motion, because it does pertain to how Chinatown is characterized. <clears throat> I know this motion well. I first saw it on, on Friday, March 16th, when I got home that evening. Um, the second paragraph reads, there's a need to protect Chinatown's historically significant resources, including its vibrant small business sector, which supports the needs of local residents and are compatible with the, with the neighborhood. Create a supportive environment for new small business innovations and preserve and enhance existing neighborhoods serving retail uses and future opportunities for resident employment and family and business ownership. As such, the city needs to pursue the necessary land use regulatory controls to protect Chinatown from the establishment of new formula retail uses characterized as those businesses that maintain two or more of the following features. It's a standardized array of merchandise, a standardized facade, a standardized decor and color scheme, a uniform apparel, standardized signage, a trademark, or a service mark, which sounds very well-meaning, um, except forget about the um, Starbucks, coffee bean, um, Trader Joe's, um, Whole Foods aspect. That also prevents the opening of a tea time, which started in Chinatown, another Pho 79, which started in Chinatown, another Kim Chui, Another um, Wing Hop Fung or Bird Pick, um, Phoenix Foods, which is now all over Southern California, also started in Chinatown. These are mom and pop businesses that, that grew and are operated by extended family members. So we essentially are, trying to, are throwing out the baby with the bathwater, and no other community can accept those conditions and neither should Chinatown. And I guess the last question would be um, from the you know, going 
up and down the street on Broadway and Hill, uh, what kind of support or even awareness is there about this particular issue? It's highly visible as a an outpost against having Walmart here, but in the reality of the landscape here is they've got their permits now. You know, how aware are business small business owners of the issue? I think um, small business owners were very aware because we do have um, you know, good communications with um, the community and the community um, with each other. But certainly um, this ICO um, has made many people who are on the fence about this store even more aware. And if anything, it's, it's backfired. And it's um, sad that it's come down to this where um, Chinatown is a battleground for between um, the unions and um, freedom of choice. And I, I don't think that, you know, Chinatown needs everybody's support. There's no question. Any retail, any community needs outside support. However, do not make this the battleground to, you know, really hurt the other businesses and the residents in the area. George, you, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you. And a walk on just about any day along Broadway, you'll realize that this is a pretty vibrant walking neighborhood for business, small business in particular. So I thought I'd take a trip down Broadway to the Wonder Bakery at Sun Yat-sen Plaza to talk to Chris Chung, who's the owner and the one most outspoken opposition in the Chinatown business community to the new Walmart neighborhood store. Yeah, the, the bakery has been around here for over 30 years and, and my family and I run this bakery over 25 years. So we, we mainly, we mainly uh, Asian, Asian uh, American bakeries over here. And we, sell, we sell bread and cakes and buns and pastries. And where's your family from originally? From Hong Kong. And are your pastries uh, special Hong Kong kind of pastries? Yes, yes. What's your favorite thing that you make here? Well, we make uh, egg tarts and sponge cake, all different kind of uh, pie. I think our coconut coconut tart, coconut bread, they're really good. Uh, we make pastry like uh, honey butterfly deep pastry. We have some kind of different kind of bean bean pastry bread bean green bean black bean lotus beans so that leads me to my question which is uh, we're talking about walmart on my show today and i don't think walmart would take your business away for the uh, egg custard cakes uh no not the asian pastry i don't think so unless they want to later on develop they know a lot of uh, Asian over here, the Chinese, some Filipino here, and, and then later on, they, they think that there's be a market for them, they develop that. Hopefully, if they, if they open a store over there successfully, hopefully they don't do that, and that could even hurt more uh, in addition to their cake and bread competition with us. 
What's your main reason that uh, you think that it is not a good idea to have a store for Walmart there on Cesar Chavez and Grand? First of all, we, we have a number of bakeries over here. If they sell the same bakery store, a bakery bread like us and bun, and we know that they sell cake, we have probably like 10 bakeries in Chinatown. Uh, small, they are small, mom and pop. And then the, the, uh, the other thing that I'm really concerned is the, the grocery store. Right now, the, the economy also hit them. So they are, they kind of, the business is not the best right now with the economy. And the pharmacy stores too. Well, talking about the grocery store, those mom and pop, they, they've been here for a long, long time at the grocery store. And then when mom move in and with, with, with the other, the lower prices over, undercut them, that could, that could really hurt them. Has your business been impacted by the economy? Yeah, our business also impacted because our, my customer my customer also, they, I think the spending power also has been impacted because of the, the, the economic, the unemployment. So they buy, they buy smaller cake, they, don't have, they can't even afford it to buy some of them. And then the, the wedding cake, they delay the wedding. So we have less wedding cake too. Oh, Mr. Yu, his, his main concern, he said, is that for a long time, the community has been waiting, especially owners of businesses like your parents um, have been waiting to have a market there that they can walk to and that they don't have to walk you know, uh, down the entire street, but one place that they can go and they can get pharmacy and uh, produce and groceries, goods and uh, soap, etc. in one area. So what would you say to that? Is that not a benefit to the Chinatown elderly community? I think the people live around the area, especially the senior citizens live right about, right about that, that location Walmart proposed. So I, I, think, I, think, I think some of them, I don't know how many of them, that some of them may want to visit or buy from Walmart because they're closer, so maybe to their benefit over there. So you wouldn't argue that that could be a benefit to them? Oh yeah, yeah. I think some people around the area that they uh, they would like to see Walmart to to be set up over there, so closer to, to them, so they can just go to Walmart and buy the grocery, buy the bread, maybe even the medicine over there. So like a one-stop shopping, but that's kind of risky for for the rest of the business. If they only go to Walmart, they don't go to, go to the rest of the the business in Chinatown that potentially also hurt the Chinatown business too. So there's pros and cons about Walmart sitting over there. People like Walmart there because they want to shop over there when they're close, closer to them. Yeah, so being here in Chinatown almost 30 years, what would you say is really the number one um, aspect of the culture of Chinatown that you really think is important to, to keep and to maintain? Well, we want to maintain the characteristic of the Chinatown, which is mom and pop, small business over here. So, uh, we, so we want to keep the small business over here, and and they're selling, they're selling their own stuff. You know, the tourists like whatever they sell, 
they have the, some different products over here. Even, even the Asian grocery, they may have they have some uh, Asian product candies and 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 jackfruit. I never see jackfruit, jackfruit like I see here. Yeah, jackfruit or coconut. So we want them to to be able to survive during this slow economy and do better in the future. So so right now it's really right now it's not really a may not may not a good good time for other big chain company and and even hurt them more and kill and even killing them. I understand. So it's this particular moment is really when the small businesses need support. They don't need that's competition. True. Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. They need a lot of support for from the local local community to buy locally right now. Uh, not the not a big competition. Maybe in the future, who knows? We, we never know. But well, you're a busy man. I know you need to go. I asked my last question, which is, um, you and Mister Yu, you're friends, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know each other for a long time. Yeah, yeah. We are friends. We we work together. So you can be on different sides of the same issue, and it's okay. It, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay for us. Mister Chung. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And that's it for here in the city today. Special thanks to Jesse Lerner, Luis Sierra Campos, Tandisizwe Shimurenga, Daniela Gerson, Sabiha Khan, Albert Chacon, Rachel Salmon, Will Coley, Holly Harper, Karen Ness, and to you, our listeners. We will be back next week with more radio realities from the urban landscape. Until then, you can find us on the web at Here in the City. That's H-E-A-R in the city dot org. I'm Sarah Harris. Signing off. To yapping on. When you go in and out, may you have peace and level and safe. Yes. Be safe. Peace.